Shot Reverse Shot. I'm Matt Risby. Hello. And joining me as always, via the miracle of satellite technology, to clients he's the greatest, to everyone else he's just a dick. It's Ed Davis. How the devil are you, sir? I'm good. I think I know what that one is. I think that's Fletch. Oh, no, you're very close, though. It's the, the adventures of Ford Farlane. Wow. <laughs> uh, there you go. Uh, I do enjoy this new uh, tagline game. It's nice to flummox you. Yeah, it, it's giving me flashbacks to always failing this round at the showroom film quiz. Yeah. It's always the most difficult um, one that uh, I always remember because I think I was so annoyed that I didn't get it and I was so close because I figured out exactly the genre and the type of film was family's not a word, it's a sentence. Oh, God, what's that? Mm. No, Pass. Okay, so from that, I immediately thought, okay, it's like a comedy, it's like some wacky family or something. And like, it was just going over my head. It's like family, wacky, family, comedy. And then it's like Royal Tenenbaums. It's like, fuck, of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> like, I had figured out, I had narrowed it down so much and just couldn't think of a single example of a film that fit that genre. Mm. Although, you could probably use it for like Animal Kingdom. <laughs> it probably wouldn't be that appropriate for like The Godfather. <laughs> Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Anyway, oh, what the fuck are we doing? We're doing a podcast. Oh yeah, we're doing a podcast about sports movies. Everybody, sports, sports. As promised last week, when you know keen-eared listeners might realise I had the same cold as this week, we're talking about sports movies because it's the Super Bowl. Most of you will be waking up having seen it yesterday. And um, congratulations to the Broncos slash Panthers. And wasn't that such a good halftime show starring Coldplay and someone else? Beyonce, possibly? Uh, I, I don't care. <laughs> I don't, I, uh, this is one of those years where the halftime show just doesn't sound... It doesn't sound. It doesn't have a band I'm interested in, like you know Prince and, and Bruce, uh, but also doesn't have an artist who I think can put on a particularly interesting stage show. Like, I don't really care that much about... Katy Perry's music, but she put on a hell of a show last year. And similarly, like Madonna's music, I'm kind of hot and cold on, but you know, her show was kind of a big spectacle. And I don't feel like Coldplay can deliver on either front. Yeah, yeah, they're going to need some serious razzle dazzle. They're going to need both Shakademus and Pliers to make a guest appearance <laughs> to uh, to liven that shit up. So, yeah, sports movies, Ed. Something I'm kind of surprised that we haven't really done before. But there's an interesting thing that I read kind of thought I'd run by you, is that I read a criticism about sports movies and the, it went kind of something like this, that you can't make a good movie about sports because whatever you make will not be as compelling as watching the sport itself. Uh, discuss. I think that's rubbish. <laughs> I, think that's, <laughs> I think that's completely terrible because, like, obviously sport is... You know, watching live sport is very... It can be very compelling and there's obviously... I mean, I think for me, it it's more compelling in sports where it's just two combatants. So boxing and tennis are the ones that I find the most exciting to watch live just because the the kind of the narrative of it becomes it's these two people facing each other. It's not dependent on anything other than these two people doing the best game that they can. Um, I think that's why 
boxing has lent itself to sport so often. But I think in most of them, most sports don't have, certainly most team sports don't have that inherent quality to them. And they're often can be for some, in some cases quite frustrating. And I think that like watching highlight reels from a live game gives you that sense of energy, but most sports consists of long periods between moments of amazing things happen happening. Mm. I mean, I had this, this uh, argument, which again, also I don't agree with, but it was leveled specifically at football. Um, and then I was kind of start to think about it and there aren't really that many good films about football. Um, and I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head there that like the, the reason that, uh, perhaps football isn't as compelling on screen is because of those things where you have long stretches of things not happening and then uh, sudden bursts of, of stuff actually happening. Yeah, I mean, the only good football movie I can really think of is The Damned United. Yeah, that's pretty good. Because that's not really to do with football. Like, mm. there, is some, there is some stuff happening on the pitch, but mainly it's a, a drama about this guy who's incredibly brilliant and rubs everyone up the wrong way and very quickly makes enemies with absolutely everyone he meets. And that's the thing that's compelling about it is that it offers a framework within which you can examine this human drama. Um, and I think that's why there are so few good um, football movies because like, you, you then get into stuff like Escape to Victory and Goal, mm. the Goal trilogy, um, where it very quickly becomes about trying to make the game of football exciting. Um, and I was just thinking, I was just reminded the two, two other like actually quite good movies nominally about football, Bend It Like Beckham and um, Jafar Panahi's Offside, mm. which are again, less about the sport itself than about issues to do with um, gender and how, you know, women relate to uh, participating in sport, whether it's actually playing it or, getting to you know just see the sport as in offside mm. and this leads me on to my second point that like it's very often true that the best sports movies aren't actually sports movies at all if you think about things like uh, hoop dreams or raging bull or like the wrestler or breaking away or uh, this sporting life all films that spring to mind that fall into that category they're nominally about sports but they're telling a much wider story or the show that you and I are both, you now, me for the years, are fans of Friday Night Lights. Oh, Friday Night Lights. Which is a show that has football in it mm -hmm. and is arguably heavier on the sport than a lot of sport movies actually are. But it is mainly about the moments in between games and what football as an idea means to the people who play it and means to a small town that doesn't really have anything going on and how it forms the backdrop for all of these characters and how it plays out in their lives so that you can have episodes that have no football in that can just be about uh, one character dealing with like the death of a loved one. Mm. And when it's that, when Friday Night Lights is an example, when you're doing uh, a show about a football team in a small village, a small village, small town in Texas where uh, there's not, else, not a lot else for people to live for, and uh, you touch on the kind of socio-economic factors of why that is, and you kind of uh, get into the kind of family issues of everyone. Then ultimately, it's a film about a, a TV show about America, and that's uh, pretty wide, pulling out pretty wide from what, on the surface, is a show about a football team. And I think that also that term could also be applied to the aforementioned hoop dreams. 
Absolutely. Which is a film that is very much not just about the idea of America as a place where people, if you work hard enough and if you're good enough, you can, you know, do great things and you can escape from your background, you know, your social background to an extent, your kind of racial background. Because I think with any story about, you know, young, poor black kids trying to play a sport to escape, you are essentially, they are essentially trying to escape from the neighborhoods that they have been put into from various long-running racist housing um, policies and that is very much something that you see playing out in hoop dreams and then hoop dreams also uh um, it shows how that uh, often doesn't work out mm. which mm. you think is why why it's one of the great sports movies it's also one of the truest in that it says yeah for some people you get to become like a huge multimillionaire, and you go and you escape and you uh, you know, become kind of bigger than life. For a lot of people, you know, you get injured, you lose your scholarship, and you have to uh, just try and struggle to survive. Mm-hmm. And it, another film that does that very well is uh, Sugar, a film we've talked about quite a lot before. The uh, the baseball film about kind of Dominican kid who comes to comes to America on the the hope of making it big in the big leagues when it comes comes apparent that he perhaps perhaps doesn't have the abil- ability or temperament for it. He is very quickly discarded and then essentially tells a very similar immigrant tale to thousands of other people who arrive and do the same thing every year. And it's, it's ostensibly it's a sport movie, but then it's about something much, much bigger. There is an exception to kind of uh, all the sport movie business. A lot of sports aren't particularly well represented with kind of narrative filmmaking, but in documentaries, there is a rich seam of quality, isn't there? Yeah, I think this, particularly in recent years, this has been driven by ESPN and their 30 for 30 series, which started as a series of 30 documentaries, uh, usually ranging from an hour to an hour and a half long to commemorate the 30th anniversary of the of the station. And now it's five years later, and I think they're, they're up into the mid-70s now. And the thing that's great about that series is that they go to filmmakers who are interested in telling a story about the sport and then they more or less leave them free to determine how that story will be told. So sometimes it'll be fairly conventional, such as a film I watched this week called The 16th Man, which is a really good uh, but very straightforward retelling of the 1995 Rugby World Cup, uh, which took place in South Africa, and it's very uh, a moving uh, contemplation on the nature of what rugby meant to South Africa at that time and the way in which Nelson Mandela used it as a kind of a, a way of trying to bridge the divide in the nation after the end of apartheid. But you can also get something like um, uh, 14th, uh, 19th of June 1994, I believe it's called, by Brett Morgan, who did Montage of Heck, the uh, Kurt Cobain movie, which is a movie about the day when O.J. Simpson's Bronco chase took place. And it is a completely non-narrative documentary which just consists of switching between different news coverage of the day and different sports events that were happening that day which included Arnold Palmer's last professional game, Ken Griffey Jr equaling the all-time home run record and just kind of jutting, uh, showing how all of these things eventually became overshadowed by one of the biggest uh, media stories of all time and I think it's it's interesting how different filmmakers can take Disney's money essentially and just apply their their approach to any story and do it however way that however they want to. Mm. 
And they're not shy of giving perhaps controversial filmmakers some money to do stuff, notably Alex Gibney, who Mm. has kind of ruffled a few feathers with some Scientology business uh, in the last couple of years, but he did a really good one called Catching Hell. Have you seen that one? Yes. About the the Chicago Cubs fan who caught the the home run that was uh, seen as ruining the Cubs' uh, chances of uh, making uh, the World Series. Uh, which they hadn't done for, at that point, about 95 years. I mean, that's a really cool film. And they've also given, uh, like, Morgan Spurlock's done them. Yeah, a whole bunch of people have have, uh, have done films. And, and there's a huge, wide variety. It's not just American sports, is it? They kind of do a little bit of everything. Yeah, they did a really good one on the Hillsborough disaster as well, which is obviously means a lot to, to anyone who's ever lived in Sheffield or Liverpool. They are, they are, they, they do kind of basically say, you know, sport doesn't mean just the kind of four or five sports that Americans care about. It can be about anything as long as there's a compelling story there and that you can get some amazing interviews or some amazing archive footage and assemble it in a way that is compelling. Mm-hmm. There's also the two Escobars, uh, which is one I've forgotten, which I didn't even know was a 30 for 30 because that was a film that I saw ages ago about uh, Andreas Escobar and Pablo Escobar, the kind of connections between two guys uh, which is uh, one was a footballer who was killed for uh, scoring an own goal in the World Cup in 94 and Pablo Escobar the other one who I believe likes drugs yeah he was partial to them yep yep he liked a bit of it and yeah it's a really good season there's also one I see I can't remember what it's called now it's about the birth of fantasy baseball and about how it was just a, you know a bunch of guys hanging out in a restaurant and that's why it's called Anyone who's played uh, kind of fantasy sports in America, it's called uh, the rotisserie system. Mm-hmm. And I never really understood why. And it's because they invented it in a rotisserie chicken restaurant. <laughs> uh, funny little game, it's called, or something along those lines. It's pretty good. Uh, and kind of interesting look at how, like, kind of what started out to be uh, a stupid idea between friends to kill time became a massive money-making thing. Yeah, I think the the thing that really... I think for me, make can make a a sports movie great is either if it has a really keenly felt personal element to it, like the first Rocky, I think, is a really great movie because although the boxing is is dynamic and well shot and it's it's exciting, it is mainly about this guy who is kind of a perpetual loser who finds an opportunity to try and make something of himself by just working really really hard and just kind of pushing himself, or if it. Uh, uh, offers the opportunity to expound upon something grander. So I think something like Hoop Dreams does that, but also, um, like you say, the the two Escobars, which allows the filmmakers to tell, to do both. It tells like the stories of these two men, but also what those two men mean in terms of the the country in which they they grew up. Mm. The the problem I think the good the, one of the reasons why the documentary the sport documentary is so kind of solid is because it's not partial to the dreaded sporting cliche, which makes it into way too many narrative features. Yes, I think that's that's true. And also, I think it's, 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 it's easier to just relay information in a documentary than it is in a film. I think uh, the, one of the things that's great about like the, for the pilot for Friday Night Lights is it's actually almost impressionistic and it doesn't really tell you a huge amount about what's going on it's just an assemblance of scenes kind of driven by um explosions in the sun-esque music and i think that in a lot of 
other kind of narrative pieces of work about sport, they have to constant. They will, you know, have people talking on the right saying, "Oh my god, they've scored a touchdown" and all this sort of stuff, and it, it just it becomes really awkward and beat and uh, digs into uh, uh, eats into the drama to an extent. Hmm. Hmm. Did you say the other day that you'd watched? I can't remember the name of the film, but it's about the the baseball player who threw a no hitter whilst on acid. Yes, uh, no, no, a documentary uh, with a K uh, about Doc Ellis. Uh, that's the kind of film that would not be made <laughs> as a as a narrative feature. Yeah, there's a because like the central story about Doc Ellis was yeah he um, forgot what day they were playing and got really high on LSD and then had to pitch and he pitched a no hitter, and that is that is kind of a really fun idea for something to build towards, but it's not something that you could really do much else. That's why I think before. Uh, before it was done as a documentary, people had done it as like an animated short where they they kind of acted out the um, the story of Doc Ellis and what the documentary I think is able to do because it takes a very long range view at Doc Ellis's life is it's able to recontextualize it first, just depicting that as this amazing crazy story about how insane the seventies were. This guy threw a no hitter whilst completely off his tits. And then recontextualizes as, oh no, this was like the illogical outcome of a guy who had serious substance abuse problems that destroyed his life. Uh, mm. And I think that is something that you just wouldn't be able to do in a narrative film because I think people would be just too uh, too drawn to the idea of just doing like, hey, this is a crazy thing that happened, as opposed to the, oh no, this is like deeply sad and depressing. Mm-hmm. Um, can you think of any kind of wholly underrepresented sports on film? I mean, I think you can only get into the, like, chess. <laughs> chess isn't particularly well represented. Um, I think hockey, except for a few examples, is generally not done that often or well. We're talking field hockey or ice hockey. Ice because hockey. Because ice hockey obviously has goon. It has goon is, uh, and slap shot. Great. Oh, yeah, slap shot, yeah. Mighty Basically any profane, violent film. Yeah. Um, the Mighty Drucks trilogy, obviously. Um, yeah. But that's one that ha- kind of has a few notable examples. And then I think they've done it in, um, there have been like documentaries about it, but it's not a sport that is kind of, it's not like a go to. Like every year, pretty much, there'll be a boxing movie, there'll be a baseball movie, usually, or a football movie. But mm. hockey, despite it being one of the most popular. Uh, one of the like one of the top five sports in the US isn't one that's kind of depicted very often. I think it's seen as quite niche, despite actually being really popular. Um, basketball, I think, is something that isn't done that often, considering how big it is either. Yeah, I mean, white men can't jump is obviously the the gold standard of, uh, of basketball movies. But yeah, you're right; it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't really get done a lot. Yeah, basketball, I think if it serves any role cinematically, is the game that people play in a romantic comedy when they need to discuss how their relationship is going. Yeah, or hang on, we've forgotten Space Jam, which I saw oh. for the first time uh, at the end of last year, and I'm pretty sure it's the greatest film ever made. Yeah, I think the way in which they don't bother at all to integrate Michael ja- uh, Michael Jordan into the into the animation is really quite impressive. It's a very bold <laughs> choice. Yeah, speaking of Michael Jordan slash Jackson, um, this is going to be like two weeks after the news broke, but what the fuck's going on with that Joseph Fiennes business? Yeah, that's the most insane story. I remember, I don't I don't think I'm the first person to, to say this, but when I first read that, it's like, my God, an Onion story has <laughs> <as> crossed over <laughs> into the real world. 
Yeah, that is... We're in a last-action uh, hero situation where someone's got a magic ticket that allows one onion story to come true. Uh, that is some weird-ass shit right there. Yeah, it is It is a, a completely insane. And also, the the fact that it broke, the news broke when it did in the middle of a kind of long-running and heated discussion about the lack of diversity in film in general, to be like, oh yeah, you know, one of the most famous black men ever is going to play, be played by a white English guy. Yeah, imagine if it like swept the board at the Oscars. Oh, I think we could just we could just end the Oscars then. The thing is, though, is like that the the other casting of Brian Cox as Marlon Brando and um, as Stockard Channing as Elizabeth Taylor is amazing. <laughs> I hadn't heard those, and I presume you mean Brian Cox, the Scottish actor, not the Mancunian astrophysicist. Uh, I I mean Brian Cox, the actor. I don't know who they mean. Oh yeah, they, <laughs> I don't think they know who they mean. They could have got the Rolodex mixed up, but I, I like that, and the fact that it's based on a um, fairly popular urban legend about how on nine eleven those three people decided to get out of Manhattan after the the towers went down and decided they were going to go on a road trip and ended up getting trapped in Iowa, uh, Ohio. Sorry, uh, 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 that that's an urban legend. Wasn't Marlon Brando dead by then? No, he was still alive in two thousand and one. Was he still alive? Yeah, he was. He was not doing much. But I'm pretty sure he. I think he died in like two thousand two, two thousand and three. Oh wow! Maybe this this urban myth suddenly got substance. <laughs> but yeah, it's like it's it's a crazy, amazing story. You think that could actually be a really fun film, but now uh, it's a film that I don't think anyone should ever see because it's <laughs> got this just this incredibly crass and awful bit of casting at its heart. Mm, that's the thing. The, the film can never top this story about his casting. Yeah, no, that's something that's going to overshadow it for its entire time. And it should, because it's a terrible choice that should not have happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking, going back to what we're talking about, let's try that for a second. Uh, Super Bowl yesterday. Obviously, concussion is a hot topic. Um, how's that film gone down with Will Smith? Not very well. I mean, it. It's. I think it's made its budget back because it was like, it cost like 30 million, but it still hasn't been a huge success. Uh, it's been, I think, a talking point, but more because it uh, reignited a conversation that has been going on for a long time. I think that something like uh, the Steve James movie Head Games, which uh, mm-hmm. was a big, uh, a bit, a kind of a big deal in uh, investigating how concussion leading to brain damage and emotional uh, disorders with football players and just in general people being uncertain about whether or not they should let their kids play football because they do find concussions in really young kids who play football um, and, and other sports, but mainly football uh, is obviously the kind of the key one. Uh, I think it it's, feels like it's more kind of reignited a conversation that was already going on as opposed to being this kind of big deal, hot, bush, hot button issue thing. Mm, yeah, yeah. I kind of wondered whether that would be... Because the NFL... Were the NFL involved there to sign off on that or something? Uh, the NFL did not sign off on it, as far as I'm aware. I don't think they're allowed to use any of their, their stuff. Um, that will be like any given Sunday when the teams are like the Carolina Dogfish or whatever. Uh, I think like, they use like real team names, but I'm not sure if they're allowed to use like any logos or anything. It's not like uh, Draft Day, that Ivan Reitman, Kevin Costner movie, where... They have every scene that takes place at a different stadium begins with kind of a series of money shots showing off how great the stadium in question is and 
showing off how cool all their gear looks. Mm-hmm. You don't want that. What have we got for recommendations this week, Ed? thought we'd kind of throw some sport movies into the mix. I'm going to pick a film that uh, you can all see because it's on Netflix. Uh, if you've got Netflix, that is. Uh, it's a film called The Battered Bastards of Baseball, uh, which was uh, a Netflix original. And it's uh, the truly compelling and fascinating tale of a baseball team called the Portland Mavericks, who, for those who don't know, were one of the very last independent minor league teams. And when I say independent, for those of you, again, who don't know, I mean, what's wrong with you? Why don't you know anything about kind of minor league farm systems in American baseball? But, like, all the little teams are owned by a big team, and they try their players out, and then they move them up the ranks. So watching a minor league team isn't like watching a team who play in, like, the third division in, like, British football. You know, you don't come attached to the players because they don't stay there for very long. But the Portland Mavericks, as their name suggests, were a bit different. They did things their own way. And they essentially put out an open call to anyone and kind of garnered a a huge collection of, like, miscreants and misfits who somehow managed to get the job done. And all of this is even more fascinating because the team was owned by Bing Russell, who is Kurt Russell's dad. And Kurt Russell himself was a designated hitter. They had a left-handed catcher. And for those of you who don't follow baseball, that's ridiculous. They had uh, ex-Major League Baseball players who had been kind of like cast out of the game for various indiscretions, uh, who found a home at the Portland Mavericks. And it is an absolutely brilliant film about true Mavericks kind of bucking the system against kind of crazy stupid odds uh, and doing it their way. It's a pretty fucking good film. I'd recommend it. Yeah, that's a, a hugely entertaining film that also, I think, has the has some genuine kind of uplift to it mm. uh, in that it's a story about people going up against the system and really making a very strong go of it. Mm. What have you got? I have a documentary as well, kind of continuing the theme, I guess, uh, from 2010, directed by Asif Kapadia, who is currently Oscar nominated for Amy. And it is a film called Senna, which is a documentary about the F1 uh, driver, Ayrton Senna, who was a Brazilian kind of superstar of uh, the Formula One scene in the 80s and 90s, and it is a really compelling look at his life told entirely through archive footage and then overlaying the kind of uh, v- uh, the voices of important people in his life, people who were friends of his, uh, people who's in relationships with his various rivals, and it's a really great examination, again, similar to something like um, like the 16th man is very good as an examination of how sports can mean something in a broader context to a country, a country like Brazil, who at the time was going through great social and economic upheaval, um, having someone who was a national hero to them, who was a huge star on the world stage, gave them something to kind of, uh, not necessarily something to live for, but gave them a, a form of escape. And I think that is something that sport at its best can do is that it can give people uh, a a, a literal escape and that it can take people from kind of poor or socioeconomic backgrounds and allow them to kind of escape into a a life they would not otherwise have perhaps been able to attain but it can give a kind of a spiritual escape and that people can watch it and for brief moments be united with other people in watching a thing Uh, and you know the communal aspect of sport is something that I find uh, incredibly moving and that aspect of Senna is is great but also it's just a triumph of of editing and uh construction because capadia does take nothing but 
footage of his races and footage of uh, you know back backstage stuff, stuff in press conferences or meetings of the drivers, and assembles it with kind of the uh, lean energy and the kind of drive of a really good uh, narrative film. Uh, and uh, it's a film I think that got a lot of attention when it came out. I think it became one of the most popular documentaries of all time in the UK. But um, if you haven't seen it, it is it is a really really great piece of work. Yeah, I would uh, give it the ringing endorsement of making me interested in Formula One because uh, that is a sport that I absolutely fucking despise. Same, and it's a film that just completely makes me forget that, which is quite something. Yeah, that I I have no interest in Formula One whatsoever, but it does a great job of making the sport look entertaining again because uh, it's essentially highlights, and you don't have to watch two hours of people driving around around in a circle. <laughs> uh, you can just watch; it's just like cutting these things down to the the five minutes that matter, and also because it does a great job of drawing out the personality of of Senna and his rivalries with other 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 racers, and you know constructing an interesting narrative about someone who was really, again, someone who who was kind of pushing up against an establishment that he felt was against him and and trying to affect some sort of change in a sport that he dearly loved, even if I have no interest in that particular sport. Absolutely. So that's sports movies, everyone. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening. As always, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, uh, Stitcher Smart Radio, all those excellent uh, outlets. Find us on Facebook, on Twitter, and say nice things about us because uh, we appreciate it. Uh, We'll be back next week when hopefully I'll have shaken this fucking cold. And uh, until then, it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. And goodbye from me.